You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Well, let's jump into the message. And, and really, we know this, right? Intuitive, we know this, that Easter is a special time. Easter is a special time for us. As a church and as pastors, it's one of those Sundays that we circle on the calendar every single year. Right? We always look forward to celebrating Easter with all of you. But I will admit, and many of you who know my story, this won't surprise you, growing up, I had no idea what Easter was actually about. I mean, looking back, I can tell you, I basically remember three things about Easter. One, that I got candy. Two, that my parents forced me to wear clothes in the pastor, like in like the pastel kind of color bracket. And I was, I was forced to do that, usually matching uh, my brother and sister, which of course is what we now do to our children. And three, <laughs> and three I, I was always really alarmed that the mascot for this holiday was a really freaky looking bunny. And maybe some of you don't have like the same reaction to a bunny that I do, but I watched Donnie Darko way too early as a child. And so now I'm terrified of bunny costumes. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. This, is, this was not a good move uh, watching that as a young child. I didn't start following Jesus until I was in college. But I remember the first Easter after I gave my life to Christ. It was just about three or four weeks after I committed my life to the Lord. And I remember going to church for that first time, and it was like, I was hearing the message with brand new eyes. I remember being totally blown away. Like, so you're telling me that this guy, Jesus, came to die for me. And I remember hearing this for the first time, being blown away. And then I remember taking communion and thinking, boy, that's a really strange way to remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed, but whatever helps you remember. And it's made a little more sense to me now, but the first time I saw communion, I thought it was so odd and strange. And then it goes on top of that. Not only did he die for me, not only do we remember his death, but he came back to life. He was resurrected from the dead. And I remember thinking, man, this is the best news I've ever heard in my entire life. And by the way, it changes everything for me. It changes everything for me. The resurrection changes it all. Now, see, you might be a longtime follower of Jesus, or you could be joining us today and you're a lot like I was growing up or even in my early college years, you have really more questions than answers and you didn't really know what this whole thing was all about. But I can tell you that the most important question that you can ask yourself this morning is a question that Jesus asked himself. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And actually, if you read the whole passage from start to finish, he actually asks that question twice. He says, who do they say that I am? And who do you say that I am? Because it's one thing to get your answers about Jesus from everybody else. It's one thing to get your answers about Jesus from the crowd and the voices out there. But it's something wholly different to answer that question personally. Who is Jesus for me? And I imagine in a room this size, and of course with everybody tuning in online, there's probably a lot of different ways that we might answer that question. Some of us 
You've already recited the answer in your head. It's very personal, right? He's saved me and rescued me. He's forgiven me and he's the Lord of my life. But others, you might use a more religious term. And, and by using some of those religious terms, not always, but sometimes we can kind of keep God at a distance or at arm's length. You might say, well, he's God or he's the son of God or, or he's one God among many or a religious teacher who had some neat things to say. And still others, we believe Jesus was only a man who lived and died. And quite honestly, you're only here because you got invited and promised mimosas and brunch after this whole thing was over. <laughs> but there was a catch. For some of you, there was a catch. Like you had to stay awake the whole time. Like you couldn't fall asleep during the sermon and then you would get a free brunch, right? But listen, I know how this goes because I've invited plenty of people. If you fall asleep, you'll still get your free brunch. I promise you, you will. I promise you will. Some of the, the look that I, some of you have on your faces, you're like, wait, free brunch? I didn't know. See, your problem was that you said yes after the first invite. You need to wait a few invites before you come to the church so that you can have them sweeten the pot for you a little bit because then they'll throw in a lunch or a brunch or something. Listen, I'm just trying to help you out for next time. You can always hold out for more. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you personally? This is a question that some love to answer, others hate to answer. But either way, it's a pretty important question to wrestle with. C.S. Lewis, the 20th century writer, famously argued that with Jesus, you really only have three ways to answer that question. Who is Jesus to you? There's only three ways to really answer that question. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. He's either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. See, Jesus, he, he said some revolutionary things. He was always flipping the religious systems upside down. But the biggest kind of proverbial line in the sand that he drew was that he told everyone that he was going to be betrayed, crucified, and resurrected back to life. It's one thing, right, to say, love your enemies. It's one thing to say, pray for the sick or forgive those who hurt you. It's a whole nother thing to draw the line in the sand, draw your disciples kind of close, look them in the eye and say, hey, look, here's the thing. In just a short time, I'm going to be betrayed. And it's actually going to be one of you guys. And they're going to crucify me. And I'm going to, and I'm going to die. They're going to put me in a tomb. And you're going to freak out, and all of you are going to run your own ways. But don't worry, because three short days later, I'm coming back from the dead. Now, imagine saying that. Imagine hearing that for the very first time. Lewis argued that after a statement like that, you only have three options. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord of your life. Because if he said it, and he knew it wasn't going to happen, then he's a liar, and he's no longer worthy of your worship. And if he said it, and he genuinely thought it was going to happen, but it didn't happen, it means that he's delusional, and you need to run for the hills, and you definitely need to run from people like me because we're trying to bring you to Jesus. But if he said it, and it actually happened, then it changes everything. If he said it, and it actually happened, it changes everything. If Jesus can predict his own death and resurrection, and then it actually happened, then he deserves everything that you've got because he's Lord of it all, even death itself. See, the resurrection, it changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. If the tomb was empty, it changes everything. If he's a liar, then I've been duped. If he's delusional, then I, I guess I am too. But if he predicted his own death and resurrection, 
then it changes everything that I know about life and it makes me want to know everything else that he ever said. So there's a man in the Bible named Paul. And Paul, at one point in his life, he hated Christians as well. He, he persecuted them, he killed some of them. And then Paul had an encounter with the resurrected Lord and it changed everything for him as well. He started planting churches and praying for the sick and writing theology and preaching the gospel. And our scripture for today is a letter that he wrote to one of his churches in Corinth. It's recorded in the Bible, and we get a chance to read it together today from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read nine verses this morning. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. If you've ever felt like you've somehow outsinned God's love, then take heart in this passage. If you've ever felt like you've lived too hard of a life or you've run away from him too far, that God could never forgive you, then let me remind you this morning that Paul killed Christians and became a church leader. Paul killed Christians, God forgave him and enlisted him in the mission of transforming all things. God is always ready to forgive you. He's always ready to forgive you. Now, I love this passage. It's been one of my favorites for a number of years because it starts by encouraging anyone who believes in Christ already. And Paul writes to stand firm in your faith, to stand firm in your faith of the gospel of Jesus. And I imagine that some of us this morning, if you've been following Jesus for a long period of time or most of your life, that this is what you need to hear this morning, to stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to stand firm in your faith of the resurrected Lord. For others, you've heard this gospel years ago, and you received it gladly then, but life has gotten hard. And over the years, it's gotten complicated. Maybe someone in the church has even hurt you before. And now you've just kind of drifted, and, and you've begun to forget about Jesus and all of his teachings and the calling that he has on your life. But listen, the message of Jesus Christ hasn't changed. It's not an accident that you're here today. You can be forgiven right here, right now, and today might be a fantastic day for you to recommit your life to Christ and start afresh with him this morning. And still for some, you need to respond to the gospel for the very first time and receive this gift of salvation today. And if that's you, whether you're recommitting your life to the Lord and starting fresh with him this morning or giving him a first-time decision, saying that you want to follow Christ as best as you can, then I want you to know at the end of our service, we're actually going to invite you to respond to that call. We're going to give you a chance to give your life to Christ this morning. And I imagine that many of us may need to respond 
to recommitting our life to Christ or giving him our heart for the very first time. If you look back at this passage, what's really beautiful about it is he, he encourages us to stand firm. He encourages us to, to make a decision for Christ and to, to lay hold of the gospel together. But then what I love next is that he really starts to name names. Like in the passage, he starts to name names. He goes, I trust in the resurrection because I've seen the risen Lord. And so have many others. The disciples saw him. The women at the tomb, the day of resurrection, they saw him. And then at one point, 500 others were gathered together and they all saw him too. Many of them are still alive. You can go ask them what they've seen. You can go ask them about their testimony. And now obviously the, the men and women from this passage who saw the resurrected Jesus, their time has come and gone, but today we still have their story. We have church history. We have 2,000 years of faith before us, and we also have our own lives. Our own lives of transformation in Christ stand as evidence that God is still moving in and among us. He's moving through us, and the love and the presence of God will draw you closer and closer. His presence is all around us. But it's true that some have forgotten the gospel over the years. It's true that some have forgotten and others have never heard it. And, and, and I think for a lot of Christians, we've only heard a partial gospel. We've heard part of it, but it really rests incomplete in our heart. And so what I'm going to do for the next few minutes is I'm going to give you the gospel according to Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you the whole gospel according to Jesus Christ. And parents, I just want you to know if your kids are in kids' ministry today, they're going to hear the exact same message in the exact same way. So it should create some great conversations for whatever's next in your day. Brunch or Easter baskets or the master's tournament or whatever it is. The best place when you're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the best place to start is the very beginning. You have to start in the beginning. And if you don't start in the beginning, you're going to miss one incredibly important piece, and it's that you were designed for good. You were designed for good. In the beginning and ever since, this scripture teaches us that you were designed for good, and so was all of God's creation. The Christian worldview teaches us that from the very first pages of our sacred text, God looked at you, both man and woman, both male and female, and he said, you are designed for good. From the very first page, we encounter a loving God who created a perfect creation with perfect communion with him and with one another and a perfect peace resting in his presence. Now, this is a different story than what some of us have ever heard. Some of us have been told we've been bad our entire lives. And, and once you hear that you're bad so many times, you start to believe that about yourself. And sometimes you hear that you're bad from those who are closest to you, your loved ones, the people that you look up to and admire. And sometimes even the church can heap piles of shame and condemnation upon you. And that tape that can play back in your head just says, I am bad. I do bad things. I'm a bad person. But that is not how the gospel story begins. The gospel story begins with God looking at creation and saying, you are good. You're created for good, and you're created in the image of God. But obviously, right, it doesn't take us very long to realize that even if you were created in the image of God, even if you were created to do good, that something is horribly wrong. 
that something has gone off. It doesn't take very long to realize the world is not working the way it was intended to be. Something has gone horribly wrong. And what it is is that evil has damaged God's original design. The story of God teaches us that although we were created for good and perfect communion, that humanity rejected God's leadership. We rejected his love and we rejected his order. And when this happened, we basically became our own gods. We decided that we could do better than God and we became our own gods. And when evil entered the world, sin and pain came with it. Death and destruction, suffering and brokenness rode on its coattails. And so now, instead of experiencing perfect communion with God and perfect relationship with others, instead of embracing our true identity with Christ, now our life is marked by things like anxiety and stress, uh, insecurities and, and loneliness. And of course, these things only deepen the divide between us and God and us and others. And Many of us are left to grasp for anything to kind of deaden the pain that we're experiencing in our own lives. We're trying to add all kinds of things to mute the pain in our own lives. This was my story for years. Because of the brokenness in my family, because of my own life and a lot of poor decisions that I made, I looked for anything to ease the pain. By the time I was 12, I was an addict. Shortly after that, I started trying to ease the pain in my life with anything I could lay a hold of, academics, adventure, accomplishments, relationships, athletics, anything that would give me the illusion that all was well in my life when deep down I knew that it wasn't. I was desperate for change. I was desperate for healing, and I had no idea where to look. But God always, always has a plan for your redemption. Again, it doesn't matter how far you think you've drifted. Remember, Paul killed Christians and God redeemed his life. I was an addict by 12 running in the complete opposite direction. And it took me seven years of experiencing pain before I encountered the love of Christ and began to walk our redemptive life with him. But he always has a plan of redemption for you. He's always ready to forgive. God saw this happening in his good creation. He saw the brokenness and the death and destruction rising up, and he decided to do the unthinkable. He decided to enter into our own mess. He entered into our own brokenness, our own pain, our own sin. When, God, or when, when mankind rejected God's leadership, he came to dwell among us anyway. So Jesus Christ came to earth to restore all of the bad things back to good. You can be restored for better. See, God saw the pain. He saw the heartache and the hopelessness, the disunity and the chaos in our lives and all around us. And he made a plan to begin transforming all of creation, including you and including me, back to its original design. When you think about this scripture and you think about the story of the Bible, you have to realize that about two-thirds of this Bible, they're all promises about this coming king. They're all promises about this sacrificial lamb and savior of the world who would give his life so that you could be forgiven and restored back to good. And the latter third, the last third of the Bible, it's all about this man, Jesus Christ, who came 2,000 years ago and lived this perfect life, 
died the death that no one else could die, was buried in the tomb and came back to life so that you could be forgiven, so that all of your sin could be washed away and you could be brought back into perfect relationship with the Father. I read from verse 3 earlier. I just want to remind you, this is what it says. It says that Jesus Christ died for our sins, as the Scripture said. He died so that we could be forgiven and set free and reunited with God forever. He was buried and he rose again. That's why, of course, why we're celebrating and gathered today. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and when he did, he conquered death. He overcame the grave and suffering and pain and the chaos that was all around us. He did it once and for all, and it's through his death and resurrection. It's through God's perfect sacrifice that we can experience that perfect relationship with him again. The Bible says that if you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord, as the leader of your life, doesn't mean that you're going to follow him perfectly, but your heart's intention is that he is the Lord of your life. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved for eternity. But one of the greatest promises of the Bible is that you don't have to wait until you die to experience that. You can make that decision today for eternity, but you can begin experiencing the promises of the gospel right here, right now. Transformation by transformation by transformation, little by little by little, this side of heaven. I mentioned earlier that if you need to make a decision to follow Christ for the very first time or recommit your life to Christ, that we're going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a few minutes. But for now, I kind of have to continue in this story because I'm afraid that for many of us, particularly many Christians, we stop at this stage of the game. A lot of people think the good news starts and stops with your personal decision to follow Christ, but it doesn't. There's more to the story. You have been sent together to heal the nations. Once you give your life to Christ, you've been sent together to heal the nations. The transformation begins at a personal decision. It begins at you deciding to follow Christ, but this is only the beginning. You've been invited into a new adventure with God where you can actually join him in the mission of transforming all things. Many Christians stop at personal salvation, but following Jesus is so much more than just believing in him. We're called to shine brightly for for the world around us. We're called to carry the message of Christ with us wherever we go. That means that as you go about your life, when you encounter chaos, you can offer the peace of Christ. That where where you see hurting and broken people, you can invite the healing power of Jesus to come into that situation. Where you see despair in your life or the world around you, you have the hope of Jesus Christ that can be offered to the world. Jesus entrusted his mission to the local church and to believers everywhere. And it's now our calling to help other people ask and answer the most important question they could ever consider. Who is Jesus to you personally? Who is Jesus to you? Now, of course, this would be a burden. It would be a burden if you were left to do this all alone. But God won't leave you alone. He's given you his Holy Spirit to empower you in this work, and he's unified you in the body of Christ so that we can do this together. So we have been sent together to heal the nations. The decision to follow Christ, it is uniquely personal. It is a personal decision, and no one can make that decision except you. Your parents can't make that decision for you. You can't rely on your grandparents' decision to follow Christ, you have to make a personal decision. It can't be your friends or even your pastor. You have to make that personal decision to follow Christ. But once you do make that personal decision, you were never meant to live it out alone. 
You were meant to be thrust into a community of Christ followers so you can lock arms together and begin to walk out the mission of Christ with one another. We can't forget this last circle. We can't forget this last circle. Without the fourth step, our gospel is simply incomplete. But with that fourth circle, by living into that fourth circle, being united together and sent to the nations to heal, it is the fullness of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I just have an important question for all of us this morning, Easter Sunday, April 9th, 2023. Think about where you are at in this slide. Think about where you are at. If you think about these circles going clockwise around, where might you land this morning, and where might God be inviting you to live your life? Truthfully, I haven't met anybody who lives in circle one. I really haven't. Most of us realize the world is not what it should be. Most of us realize that we don't live in perfect peace and perfect, perfect communion with God and others, but a lot of people, millions of people live in circle two. Millions of people live in circle two. Pain and brokenness, darkness and isolation, fractured relationships. We don't know what to do, where to get the healing. I lived that life for 19 years. It is not a great place to be. Maybe you're on circle three. We know that once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you move into circle three. You can experience personal transformation. You can be saved today and for eternity. But as I mentioned, many stop at circle three. And circle four is so important for us because it's where we begin to partner with God for the healing of the world. And then there's this other kind of unique situation that happens. A lot of people, honestly, they try to skip circle three altogether and just go from circle two to circle four because they just want to avoid Jesus altogether. And we do this for a variety of reasons, right? We either don't like Jesus, we don't like his teachings, he, he makes us feel uncomfortable, or maybe we've met some Jesus followers who have really hurt us, and now, because his followers have hurt us, we just want to throw Jesus out too, and we want to ignore him completely. We think we can still do things on our own. We think we can bring our own solutions to the world and solve our own pain in our own way. And truthfully, even Christians fall into this trap. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The problems of our world are too great for us to bear and for us to solve in our own strength. The problems of our world are too powerful for you to be able to defeat them on your own. If you try, you'll eventually burn out, you'll get defeated, and you'll be left wondering if you've made any difference at all. If you want to solve the infinite problems of the world, you need a supernatural solution. You need a savior who can rescue you and empower you and release you to offer that same solution to the world around you. You need a savior. Humans have always wanted power without surrender. We've always wanted power without surrender. We've always wanted transformation without death, but that's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible says that we must die to ourselves to be united with Christ because it's only in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that we can begin to see a solution to these endless needs. If you want to transform the world, you have to start with Christ. You have to start with Christ. So as I prepare to close, I just want to remind you of the gospel that saves you. I want to remind you in the same way Paul reminded us years ago that Jesus Christ came to earth. He was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again. And the entire time that he was hanging on the cross, he thought about you. Jesus died so he could fill heaven with people like you. 
He's always ready to forgive you. You can't outsend God's love. You can't outpace his spirit. He suffered so you could be healed. He broke his body and shed his blood on the cross so that you could be made whole. Who is Jesus to you personally? If he's a dead guy with cool teachings and his bones are still in the grave, then honestly, as Paul said, you should pity me. Because our faith is irrelevant and it's probably not going to change your life. If he's just a cool guy with some cool teachings, but his bones are still in the grave. But if he died and if he rose again and if the tomb is empty, then it changes everything. If the man can predict his own death and resurrection and it actually happened, then it demands a response from us this morning. It's too powerful of a display for us to sit idly by. He's calling us to join him in the transformation of all things. For many, it starts with our own lives and then it will be sent out to the world around us. Who is Jesus to you personally? Let's pray.